are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. 25 years ago, my wife and I had moved here from State College. We were serving on staff at a dynamic church at State College. And we were feeling like God was calling us to, to do some home missions. We called it back then. It's church planning t- today, but, but the term back then was home missions, meaning start a mission in the United States somewhere. We looked in Florida. It, God kind of put the pieces together, and we ended up moving to Penn Hills in the fall, in the, in the, actually the beginning of the winter of, of 1988. Unbelievable how quickly time flies. There were about 25 people there when my wife and I and two little girls that we had uh, joined us in that congregation. And I think the first month of January that we started taking statistics, we averaged 30 people. One year later, by the way, I left a church that was probably running about six, 700 people at the time. We were associate pastors doing student ministries and adult ministries also and helping out my wife on the staff there volunteering as the Christian ed director in that church and we were living in a parsonage and we had a decent salary we we took a huge risk maybe some would say a stupid chance I call it a big giant step of faith and uh, we we came here and we cut our salary almost in half we were living in a parsonage at that time. Honestly, I'll be real transparent with you. We were making around $35,000, which wasn't bad for an associate pastor position back then. But we came here, we had to buy a house, and we started with a salary of $20,000, and it stayed that way for quite a while. And a year later, after we had this big dream that God was going to move through us, and we were going to be able to start a church, and people were going to hear about us, and we were going to win Penn Hills for Jesus. A year later, our average attendance was 31 people. And uh, as most of you would, I started doubting the call of God in my life. I started asking the question, God, why would you use me? I, I got to know the other clergy in Penn Hills. I joined the ministerium there. I, I, I looked around. I was involved with with the greater Pittsburgh area and some of the other pastors. And I, and I looked, I'm here in Penn Hills, and there's all kinds of great churches there. Just down the road in Plum, Pittsburgh East was at its highest at that point. Monroeville Assembly of God was exploding. Covenant Church was exploding. Allison Park Assembly of God was exploding. And I'm, I'm beginning to ask the question, God, why would you send me here? Why would you use me, God? Have any of you ever asked that question? Why would you use me, God? Can you use me? I started to doubt myself and started to doubt the call of God in my life. And I was beginning to think, well, maybe we made a mistake and it's time to move on. But in, there are a few times in my life, a very few times, I mean, God hears my prayers and I believe that by faith all the time, but there are a few times when I can say that I really heard the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to my heart. And this was one of those crisis moments in my life when, when I prayed to God, I said, God... Why do you need me here? Why would you need another church in this community? And this is what I heard the Holy Spirit saying to me. It was like God said to me, Bill, you don't need to be another 
Jim Leak, who was the pastor of Monroe Assembly. You don't need to be another Lee Kreitzer. You don't need to be another Joseph Garlington. You don't need to be another Ron Bailey. God basically said, Bill, you need to be you. You just need to be the best you that you can be and love the people that I send you, serve your community in love. That's all I ask. You be faithful to who you are and be faithful to the people that you have and let me take care of the rest. And here's the point. God never asks you to be somebody else. God never asks us to be somebody that we're not. God wants you to be the best you that you can be. And I don't care who you are in this place, God can use you. And God wants to use you. Today, as we look at the scripture, and we're continuing a sermon series that we began a couple weeks ago called It's Time. We're looking at people of the Bible who stepped up at a specific time. And because they stepped up or stepped into whatever God had for them, the move of God, the plan of God moved forward. And had they not stepped up, we don't know Who would have if anyone would have? And we looked at Abraham who stepped up to the call of God and left and stepped into the unknown to a land that he hadn't been that God had called him. We looked at Joshua who encouraged the people to step across the river and with courage face the battles in front of them. And today I want to talk about David. Next week we'll talk about Esther. And then we'll talk on the final week about Nehemiah. And But David... At one point when he was a young shepherd boy, he shirked the identity that others imposed on him by remaining true to himself. And because he did, he was able to defeat the giant that was thwarting God's plan for Israel. If you have your Bible, if you have your smartphone, whatever it is, your media that you have there, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. And I'm going to look at that with you together for a few minutes this morning. 1 Samuel 17. Beginning in verse 32, it's a long chapter. It's the story that many of you heard since you were a little child about David and Goliath. When we're little children, we hear it one way as adults. I want us to hear it a little differently today. 1 Samuel 17, and I want to just begin right in the middle of the story in verse 32. When David, who at this point is just a little shepherd boy, a young boy, speaks to Saul, who is the elected or the chosen king of Israel, the first king of Israel. Before that, they had judges. God was their king. God was their leader. People said, no, we need to be like everybody else. We got to be like everybody else. Let's have a king. And so Saul was selected to be their king. And they were going to war against the Philistines. And the champion of the Philistines was Goliath. And he was challenging the people to fight and Basically stepping across the battle lines and saying, you send your champion, I'll be our champion, we'll fight it out. And instead of having to kill everybody else, let's just the two of us go to it and whoever wins, that's who wins the battle. Goliath called out the people and shamed their God and challenged them and trash talked with them, basically smacked down the people of Israel with his pride and his his braggadociousness. And... And they cowered. Saul, the the, the king, cowered. And here we are, verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine, meaning Goliath. Your servant, meaning himself, David, will go and fight him. And Saul replied to him, you're not able to go up against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a young man. And he's been a warrior from his youth. 
But David said to Saul, your servant, meaning himself, has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant was killed, has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defiled the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear <clears throat> will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said, I don't know if Saul fully believed him at that point. I don't know if any can really believe that he single-handedly defeated a lion and the bear. But Saul said, all right, go and the Lord be with you. And Saul dressed David in Saul's own tunic and he put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on his sword, Saul's sword over the tunic. And he tried walking around because he was not used to them. And I don't know about you, when I get a picture of that, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. David, recognizing that there was no way he could go out in Saul's armor, decided to take off that armor and be true to himself. And here's the thing I want us to walk away from today. You will never rise to your greatest potential unless you are true to yourself. You will get to where God wants you to be when you are authentically you. And so with David as a backdrop, I want to ask three questions today for us as a community and maybe for you as, a per, as an individual, also for you as an individual. The question is, who are we? What is our Goliath? And how are we going to face the challenge in front of us? So who are we? <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> First of all, you need, to, you need to decide if you are going to be who you are or who others tell you that you are. Are you going to be the person that God created you to be? Or are you going to be somebody trying to be somebody else or trying to fit into somebody else's mold that they want to put on you? Saul wasn't the only one that was putting a different identity on David than the God's identity on him. If you know the story or if you read the story prior to this in, in the chapter, you read the story about how when Jesse, who was David's father, who had eight sons, David was the youngest, was contacted by the last of the judges who was Samuel. <clears throat> Basically, God spoke to Samuel and God said to Samuel, I need you to choose another king. Saul isn't the one. He's not cutting it. And so Samuel went to the place called, to Jesse's household. And he said to Jesse, God told me one of your sons is supposed to be the next king. And so Jesse pulled out all of his older boys, seven of them, lined them up in a row. And Eliab, the oldest of the son, was most impressive Samuel looked at Eliab and he said, that must be the one. He looks like he's king material. But God said to Samuel, Samuel, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't look on the things that people look at. People look on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And because of that, God rejected Eliab. 
Then Simeon went down to the next oldest, Abinadab, and then the next oldest, Shammah. And he went down through all seven. And God spoke to Samuel and said, none of these are the ones. And so Samuel said to Jesse, do you have any other boys? And he said, well, I got one other. And he's just the youngest. And he's out there taking care of the sheep. He's doing the dirty work because he's the runt of the litter. So... But God said to Samuel, bring him here. And then he recognized that this is the one who had the call of God in his life. And he, Samuel, anointed at that point David to be the future king. Not at that moment, but to be the future king of Israel. So that happens in chapter 16 and chapter 17. We see that Israel is going to war, that David's older brothers are at the battle lines. Jesse says to David, David, I want you to take some supplies to your brothers. I want you to go up there. I want you to get a report and come back and tell me how they are. Bring them some food and things. And so David, the little young runt of the litter shepherd boy, runs up to the battle lines. And there he sees Goliath step out from the crowd. And he is just daring somebody to step out. And he's, and he's casting dispersions on the God of Israel and doing all of his trash talking. And David said, what's going on here? Why is this going on? One of the people in the battle line saw him. It was David's older brother, Eliab. And Eliab says to him in chapter 17, verse 28, when Eliab, David's older brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at David and he said, why have you come down here and with whom did you leave those few sheep in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. And I love David, the younger brother, says, what have I done? And I know that his voice did what my voice just did. (laughs) What did I do? Come on. How many of you have older brothers? Yes. You know how that voice goes, right? It's like, I didn't do anything to bother you. And then says that David just turned and went and talked to somebody else. Forget you. Forget you. Here's the thing. Eliab was jealous of David because David was the one selected by Samuel. Eliab thought that he should have been the one. Eliab was up there, the biggest and the baddest of Jesse's household. He was probably leading uh, some platoon or somebody there. And here his little brother comes up, sticking his nose in, and it's kind of undercutting Eliab's ego. And and, and, And ego gets in the way of so much of what we want to do for God, does it not? And, and as a result of that, um, David went on and he asked all about what was going on there. And I won't tell the whole story there. But this is the thing. Don't let other people tell you what you cannot do for God. Let me say that again. Do not let other people tell you what you cannot do for God. Because God can always do more f- through you than even you could ask or imagine. And so when other people hear you saying that I'm going to volunteer for something, I'm going to step up and do something great, I'm going to take a step away for God, I guarantee you they will tell you you're stupid for doing that. They will tell you because of their own pride, their own jealousy, their own insecurity. In fact, they will secretly want you to fail. How many of you have come to Christ and your life has changed and the old friends and old family that you had or the family that you have that don't know Jesus, they are looking for you to fail. They are secretly hoping that you do not succeed with God because your success with God only makes them feel worse about their state of of continuing on in a life that's far away from God. And I think Christians, unfortunately, can sometimes even do it. And sometimes Christians can be the most petty people. 
Rather than celebrating the victories of others, so often Christians seek to criticize and tear other Christians down. All you need to look at, all you need to know to see that is look at the most successful leaders in our country or in Christianity. And, and you do a Google search and you will find more and more people cutting their legs out from under them and slandering them. You know, I think of Rick Warren as one of them, you know, whose son just died recently. And, uh, and uh, I, you know, he's, he's been a leading pastor in America. But you will find more people that hate Rick Warren than, than, than people that are fans of Rick Warren's if you look online. And it's a lot of Christians who do that. Why do they? Because we don't like it when somebody steps out in faith and somebody is successful for God because we get jealous, we get envious, we don't want their success. And that was what was happening with David here with his older brother. There will always be people who tell you why you should not step up in your way to advance God's mission. But you know what? You are uniquely you. God wants you to bear witness to what Jesus has done for you in your context and in your way. There are people in this world that only you are uniquely qualified to tell the story of Jesus. I can't reach them. Others can't reach them. But they're your friends. They're your associates. They're your family members. They're your people that God has placed in your life. Do not let people tell you that you cannot in a lovingly and tactful way reflect the love of Jesus and bear witness to what Christ has done in your life in those settings. You need to be true to yourself. We as a church must be true to ourselves. Every church is different. Thank God for the differences. If every church was exactly the same, we would only reach a small sliver of the population who were like us. Everybody feels comfortable in different settings in the way they're going to connect with God and worship with God. And every church needs to be true to itself. And RCC needs to advance God's mission in a way that is authentic to Riverside. And Eliab was telling David, who are you? You're not good enough. And it was sort of like the voice in my, in my heart whenever I was feeling like I was a failure. And, and I was feeling the sense of, boy, you're a loser. You can't do this. So this first identity that we talked about was that you're just the runt of the litter. You can't do this because you're too small. And then there was Saul who wanted to impose his own identity on David. It was Saul's responsibility to lead the army into battle. Remember when I told you that Israel was saying to Samuel, who was their leader at the time, he was a, he was a, he was a, a spiritual leader, a prophet, and, um, and, and, and God was using him to lead the people. And the people said, well, we want to be like the other nations, like the Philistines and like the other Canaanites who lived in the land. We want to be like them. And they all have a king. And, and in fact, in chapter 8 of 1 Samuel, verse 20, when Samuel said, you know, this king, he's going to lead you astray. He's going to force your children into just building weapons and fighting his wars. He's going to take your crops. He's going to take your livestock. Anybody know a government that does those things? No, we don't. He's, the people refused to listen to Samuel. And they said to Samuel, no, no, no. We want a king over us. Then we'll be like the other nations with a king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. Notice that. 
The job of the king was to be their champion, to fight the battles. And Saul was selected by the people to be their first king, precisely because the Bible says he was head and shoulders taller than the rest. He was an imposing looking person. He was impressive. He had already fought some battles and won. He was the obvious choice, the popular choice of the people. And then came his match in Goliath. And when Goliath came on the scene, Saul, who was a very neurotic person, cowered in fear and would not be the champion of the people that the people wanted him to be. And so what he said to David, I can't do it, but here, you have to fight it the way I would if I had the courage to do it. Here's my coat of armor. Here's my sword. Take this and go and be my stand-in. Fight in my place. Young David convinced Saul that he had the courage to fight the giant, but Saul determined that he had to do it Saul's way. And here's the thing, you know, there are going to be a lot of people who are unwilling to move forward with God themselves, but they'll still try to tell you if you're going to do it, you have to do it their way. Do you understand what I mean? There are a lot of people who who aren't doing anything for God, but they will tell you that your way is the wrong way. And if you're going to do it, you have to do it their way, the way they did it when one time they did it years ago. We need to be willing to be authentic to ourselves. And so David said, I can't go in these. I'm not used to them. And he took them off. And then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream and he put them in a pouch of the shepherd's bag. And with the sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. He advanced toward Goliath with a weapon that was authentic to him. And here's the thing. The most effective weapon is the one that you are most able to wield. It is the weapon you are most, that is most natural and authentic to you. And also, I want you to know this, that the weapons of the previous wars are always obsolete in the next war. The battles you fought in the past and the way you fought them in the past, now you have different ways of fighting those battles than you did in the past. So the way that that we advance the message of God changes over time. With every technological advancement, the way of communicating the message of Jesus changes with it. Back, Back in the 1400s, the invention of the printing press changed everything. It was, be, it was able to be translated into the common languages of the people. They were able to have a copy and read it for themselves. No longer did they have to just hear it being told to them by the priest or whoever the, 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 the religious leader was in their area because they were mostly illiterate. They couldn't read for themselves. Then the printing press came. People were able to read. Now they were able to read in their own language. And the first Bible, the Gutenberg Bible, was reprinted over and over and over again. And then it was translated in the common people's language. And it is that radical invention of the printing press that revolutionized Christianity. It brought on the Reformation. It changed Christianity as we know it because of the advancement of technology. And do you know that digital technology... The internet, social media, mobile devices, all of this that we are now being a part of is as transformative in our times as the invention of the printing press was in the 1400s. 
I mean, we saw evidence this week in the tragic events that happened in Boston and how social media was able to be used to find those, those bombers so quickly. That never would have happened at 9-11. It couldn't have happened back then because we didn't have the technology and that was just 12 years ago. I'm telling you folks, it has changed the way we do everything today. And the churches that are able to advance the message of the gospel or those who can adjust to the advancements in communicating the message of the gospel. I can, I can imagine back in the medieval days, there was uh, somebody, you know, they're building another cathedral in another town and they're taking all the taxes from all the people because they were mostly, you know, um, theocracies back then. The government and the church were the same thing. So they could take the tax from the people and build these big cathedrals. And then with the invention of organs and organ music, you know, the, big, the first big cathedral got an organ and now everybody had to get an organ and everybody's... I could just imagine some people saying, why are you taxing us so much, investing all this in a pipe organ? But that was going to attract the people to be able to hear music and worship God in a way that they had never been able to hear before. And it was incredible to them back then. David defeated Goliath because David was true to himself. Who is RCC? What is our identity? Well, I think that we can all agree of some things that we are not. And that is not to say, I am not saying anything better or worse than, I just think that we need to be true to ourselves. One thing I think you can tell, we are not a traditional, liturgical, high church church. Right? I'm not wearing a robe. We're not following a liturgy. There is nothing wrong with that. Please, I'm not saying anything better or worse than, but I'm just saying this is who we are as a church. We are not, and we are not a big box mega church. We do not gather together like this on a Sunday morning. We are not a one-stop drop Walmart church where we have everything available for all of your kids and family and everything all day long, 24-7. We, don't, we are not that kind of a church. We are not a personality-driven church. We don't have this iconic speaker, this preacher. Thank God for the gifts that we have and the leadership team that we have. But I'm no, you know, I'm no Rick Warren. I'm no Bill Hybels. I'm no, you know, we don't have this way of attracting people because of that. Nor are we a closed-minded, inwardly-focused small little bless me community that's so inwardly focused. Over the past couple of years, staff and the board, we've been kind of formulating and, and, and not formulating, but basically saying, who are we? And uh, we have something that we have been using. It's more of an internal document, but I wanna let you see it because it's what helps us stay true to ourselves. It's called our sandbox. And here's the theory of this. The sandbox has four sides. This is from a book uh, leading from the sandbox that we got this and we kind of formulated for ourselves. There's four sides of a sandbox. 
and the sandbox, the sides are the boundaries to the sandbox. If you know what your boundaries are, then you can do whatever you want in the sandbox as long as you stay in those boundaries. And so all the ministries of the church, all the goals and visions and missions of the church fit within those four boundaries. And so I'm going to step aside here. And you'll notice at the very top, it says that RCC exists so that people will find and follow Jesus. That is our mission. That is our mission. Simple, clear, to the point. We are here so that people will find and follow Jesus. Are you on board with that mission? Do you think that's a good mission? Some of you do. I'm glad. I think you are. I think you are. Our central ministry focus, meaning what we do week in and week out in order to advance that mission is we revere God through a life of worship. We connect with others in authentic community. We contribute to helping others both near and far. RCC, we revere, we connect, we contribute. This is what we do week in and week out, month in and month out, year in and year out. Our guiding principles, these are the things that keep us true to how we do what we do. We believe in authenticity. We believe that we are here as an equipping to equip people in ministry. We are here, we believe in excellence and doing things to the best of our abilities. We believe in innovation and creativity. We believe we need to be passionate about what we do. We believe that leadership should be marked by servanthood. And we believe that we together can collaborate better. We make better decisions when we collaborate than when we are lone rangers. And the culture that we want to set in all the ministries of the church is one that is welcoming, relevant, connecting, transforming, empowering, and impacting. That's who we believe that we are. We are a multi-generational, spirit-filled church that takes seriously our responsibility to imprint faith in the next generation. From the time we started, we heavily invested in children. We have always invested in children. We still invest in children and students. This is Riverside. This is who we are. This is what we're about. So the next question I want to ask is, what is our Goliath? <clears throat> Goliath, the champion of the Philistines, really was Israel's mission field. Yes, he was their enemy. Yes, he wanted to defeat them. But they were the people that Israel was supposed to bless as they bore witness to the God who called them and created them. As they were to be a blessing to all the nations. A champion in biblical days was the person who stepped out to fight between the battle lines, as I had mentioned. And here Goliath offers to fight on behalf of his side against any champion that Israel would put forward. And since Saul was to be the champion of the Israelites, he, um, he didn't do it. He cowered in fear. This Saul, this, this uh, Goliath, was basically the uncircumcised, the Philistines, they represent the, the, the surrounding culture, the pagan culture that works to thwart God's plan to bless the nations. They represent the greatest challenge to the viability of Israel's faith in Yahweh. They were Israel's mission field. I'm going to ask the question, who is our mission field? Who is our mission field? Well, I want to give you some sobering statistics. 
Do you know that 18% of Americans attend church on a regular basis? 18%. You hear, oh, we're a Christian nation. 80% of Christians. 80% of people may identify themselves as Christians, but on any regular Sunday, only 18% of the population is in church. That's a sobering statistics. 17% of our culture now qualifies themselves as the nuns. These are the people that claim no religious affiliation, not no denomination. I'm talking no religious affiliation. They might be spiritual. They might believe, be believers in God, but they're not going to say they're Christian or Muslim or Buddhist or Jewish or whatever. They're the nuns. 81% of children raised in the church will leave it and never return. Did you hear that? 81% of children who are raised in church will leave it and never return. I guarantee you the culture is investing billions of dollars to pull children away from church. Between 1990 and 200, 100,000 churches in America closed their doors. Between 2000 and 2010, another 25,000 churches closed their doors. Since 1970, not one United States county has had a net gain in the number of churches. 80% of churches in America are declining. Folks, we face a Goliath today. We face a champion that is challenging the viability of Christianity in America. Christianity is not what I would call a Christian nation. It is a mission field. It is as much of a mission field than anywhere you go overseas. In fact, I would say there is a higher percentage of church-going people in Africa today than there are in the United States. I don't know that for a fact, but I've been there and I've seen the Christianity in some parts of Africa. Who's our mission field? The people that aren't here, that live in our communities, the people that are unchurched, the people that were churched at one time, but for whatever reason, they walked away, they couldn't connect with it, it wasn't speaking to their hearts and to their needs, and they walked away. These are the people that live in our communities. They are our mission field. They are the lonely and the lost. They are the prideful and the powerful. They are the humble, the hurting people, and the regular Joes of Oakmont and Verona, of Cheswick and Springdale, of Indianola and Deer Lakes, of Tarentum and New Ken, of Natrona Heights and Plum and Penn Hills and Blonox and O'Hare and Fox Chapel and Arnold. And, and, and these are the people who are our mission field. Who will reach them? God is saying, who is not going to give up? Who is not going to give in to the culture saying, you can't do that anymore? Who is not going to be the people that are going to say, oh, that's too big of a job for me. We need to be the people that will step up to the mission field that God has right at our doorstep. We who've grown up in the church find that unfathomable that we could see that in America, people would grow up and not know the meaning of Easter. But this is the world in which we live right now. This is our neighbors. These are our friends, our coworkers. This is who the Goliath in our communities are. And we need to step up to the challenge. So the question, the last question I have is, how will we face the challenge? 
David faced it with five smooth stones and a slingshot. Moses, who hesitantly went back to Egypt, faced it with his staff. I mean, who are we, what are we going to use to reach these people? Well, I think we need to do it by staying true to ourselves. We really have to do it by staying true to our mission because we are here to find, help people find and follow Jesus. And please, if you walk out of here and say that this is about building a building, you are wrong. This is about helping people find and follow Jesus. And we are saying, how can we do that? How can we do that? We are here to help people revere God and connect with one another and contribute to the world around them. It's not about bricks and mortars. It's about the people who will find and follow Jesus in the sacred spaces that we are creating. And if you're here, I want to ask you a question. Can you help us do that? Will you help us do that? That's what I'm asking you today. Can you get excited about helping people find and follow Jesus? Can you? Well, here's, here's the thing, and I, I want you to take out the brochures that you received. If anybody didn't get one when you came in, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. Hold it up high. Or if you can look on with somebody that, that has one, ushers, help me out here. Just hold your hand up. We'll get it to you. This is a brochure that explains what the next season of Riverside is going to do to help us to help create the sacred spaces. They're going to help people find and follow Jesus. If you're a guest today... It might be a little confusing. Please just listen in, hear what we have to say. But what happened this summer was very revealing to us. In Oakmont, in the original space in Oakmont, actually, original space was Penn Hills, and we had three spaces there that we moved to. And then we moved to Oakmont, got the old church building there on the corner of Allegheny and Washington Avenues in Oakmont. <clears throat> and then we were able to secure a lease in a building because we outgrew that building when we were one church in one location, we went to three services. We couldn't contain uh, the children and students that were going there, and we didn't have any multi-use space. So at the other end of our block, we leased a 5,000-square-foot building where we were able to do student ministries and children's ministries. And we were able to have some special functions in the large space that was there. This summer, that building was sold, and we weren't able to buy it. And so what happened in the meantime, when we first moved down there, we started the mills, we, we doubled our locations. We had a lot of people from Oakmont who left there to be the, the pioneers at the new venue up at the mills. And so it gave us space at Oakmont that we needed much de real, very desperately. And if you remember several years ago, uh, we had a capital campaign to help us to, uh, to be able to... Um, uh, to be able to invest in the mills. So what we did then, we, uh, we asked people to invest in that and people did that. So now, um, when we lost that lease space at the Student Life Center, it, 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 it created a dilemma for us because now um, we, we, we were moving the children back to Oakmont and they didn't have a large room space to be able to meet during the midweek Wednesday night meeting. And as a result of that, um, 
we started having the children meet in the sanctuary in Oakmont on Wednesday nights. And that's the largest time that we devote to children's ministry is Wednesday night, or that's the largest group. We get more visitors in that group than any other time. So we moved into the sanctuary in Oakmont. What we learned there also is that least space is unreliable space. It was great. The Mills venue is least space. We have a 10-year lease. We're already three or four years into that lease. We don't know what the future is after 10 years. If the mill will even be, if the mall will even be there, and if it is, will they be able to give us a decent price on that venue space that we have? So we learned that lease space is unreliable space. We lost the multi-use space the SLC had, and um, and at the same time. Our student ministries, which was also meeting in lease space, is still meeting in lease space across from Riverview High School and across the alley there, across 3rd Street. That has been growing by leaps and bounds. It's been exploding. And the 2,000 square feet or 2,000 plus square feet that we have there is not big enough to have all the students together in, at one time. The junior high and high school cannot meet there together. We have the junior high on Wednesday nights, the senior high on Sunday nights, and even there they are outgrowing that space. Well, coincidentally, yeah, that's good news. It's good news. And, and, and those are the kids that we're reaching in that space there that we saw in the video. But coincidentally, at the same time that we were losing the Student Life Center, at the same time the students are outgrowing that space, there's an old warehouse. It's basically an old truck depot right on the corner, just a block, half a block down from where the students are currently meeting. It's right across 3rd Street from the, the uh, stadium seating that is for the Riverview High School football team and high school sports there. It's right across the alley from that. And it's, it's an old building. It's basically a building that really has not much use for in its current state. But its walls, its space, it's a great location. In the midst of all that was happening in August, we, as a leadership team, felt like God was calling us to try to buy that building. And we did. And we did. But the building is 10,000 square feet. The building is going to have an auditorium space that can seat 250 people. It can have fellowship area. In fact, if you'll see in your brochure there, in fact, let's put, the, uh, let's put it up on the screen there. Um, the, uh, the truck depot part of it is this part on, on the right there, and uh, it can seat up to 250 people. This area here is, in the future, it's going to be a... Uh, kind of an after-school fellowship area. It can be a multi-use area. Both of these can be used multi-use. Uh, this space could possibly be used for an extra site on Sunday morning because we're continuing to grow in Oakmont. We're continuing to grow in the mills. And God forbid if we ended up losing the mills, this is a great safety net for us to still be able to fit all the people that come on a Sunday um, here in this space on a Sunday morning as a multi-site venue. Uh, bathrooms, a new office. 
We don't have the slide for the second floor, but there is a second floor. This half of the building has two floors. And on the second floor, our intention is to move the church offices down there so that we can create space in the Oakmont venue for more children and more small groups to meet there. So that's the idea of this space that's right here for us. Um, Donnie, would you come on up here? I want you to talk about briefly, if you could, what you envision for, children, for students in, in that space there. How's it going, Riverside? You guys excited? Is this awesome or what? I, just, I, I didn't even turn around when I was sitting there, so I'm like, whoa, check all you guys out out there. This is so incredible. I'm, I'm so excited about everything. I'm a little lost in just the awesomeness of this morning and worship and looking at everything that we're doing and uh, seeing this morning, getting to that spot where we're all able to stare at this together as a church. I'll tell you what, in 17 years of student ministry, I have never been more excited about what is what is going on in our students' lives and the influence that God is giving us in our community, um, in school districts all across this area. I am so pumped and so excited. And Pastor Bill said, hey, if you could just come up and just, you know, maybe say something about what you envision happening in this building. And I thought, boy, can I ever... Because I see it all the time at our retreats. I see it at winter retreat, at beach escape. What do I see in that building? I was standing in that dirty truck garage the other day, looking toward the brick wall that will be our stage wall. And I said to someone who was there with me, I said, I can see kids on their knees in the front of this place just crying out to God. Just like we did this morning. And yeah. And I can see that because that's what we do. And the only difference between this space and the space we have now is the fact that more students will be able to come and experience what God's doing. And you heard what Noah said in the video, in our family. And that's honestly how we feel. It is a family of students that God's working in. And uh, I want to fill this building up. I want to fill this building with students from all over our community. Um, so many great things are happening. And I'll tell you what, no investment in students, and you guys know this, no investment in our kids and our students is ever wasted. So I'm excited and I'm hoping that all of you will dive on board with this. And you, I, I promise you this, the team of people that serves Nexus, we will wield this weapon with all of our strength, with all of our might, and we will do it tirelessly. You can count on that. Amen. So let's take a quick look at the other space that we're looking at, the building in Oakmont. Uh, and um, what you'll see there is a change in the layout of the seating. Right now, how many of you are Oakmont uh, vis uh, attenders on Sunday morning? Let me ask you, how many of you here are Mills people, but you've never been in the church in Oakmont? Let me see your hands. Mills people that have never been there. There's a bunch of you out there. So. Right now, um, it's hard to see. This is where I speak from on Sunday mornings. When you see me up at the mills preaching, I'm standing right there. And all these seats are facing that direction. And all these seats are in an overflow area that are facing that direction. These people are looking at these people. These people are looking at those people. <laughs> Anybody that gets up and walks anywhere in the building distracts everybody else in the building while church is happening, while I'm trying to speak and communicate. Um, and uh, this is a sloped floor that heads down in that direction. 
Our children now on Wednesday nights, this is their meeting space. We removed the pews. Those were all pews until this past fall. We removed the pews in there so that the children can have their meeting there on Wednesday nights without having to play games running around pews. Obviously, that could not have happened. So, so what we want to do is flatten this floor to the same level as this floor, turn the platform over to this area here, and have everybody facing in the same direction. The flattened floor will help us to be able to use this space in uh, many more venues than we do now, than just Sunday morning and a sloped floor on Wednesday night. The children will be able to have this space. It'll be maximized space. It's better, it'll be better than they've ever had before in this space. It's not there yet, but when we do this, it'll be better for children than ever before. Um, as, as we move the offices down to the new space um, in, the, uh, in the 800 3rd uh, Street building, we will allow spaces here where we can, Lord willing and funds available, put bathrooms on the first floor for people that are attending so that no longer do people have to go down the narrow stairways and walk through children's space to go to the bathroom. That will be a huge benefit. We are going to put another entrance off of the parking lot in the back of the auditorium where people can come in and they can have a hospitality area. If they're coming in late, they can come in that way into the building and not disrupt the service. We will make the bottom floor 100% for children and we can recreate that space, maximize the space that we have there. On the second floors where we now have uh, on these two levels, there's offices on the third floor, I should say, and uh, those can be greater small group space. Uh, Denise's office on this floor will be moved on this side, and both of these will be used for classes on Sunday morning for children, older children, as well as small group spaces available on Wednesday nights. This space could be used for small group. The cafe will continue to be used, and on and on. Denise, would you come on up here? I want you to just share briefly how you see uh, God working in this sacred space as we recreate that and upgrade that. Donnie called this awesome. I call this scary. <laughs> um, but I am very excited. It's been eight, eight months since the kids were very quickly and unexpectedly moved into the church space. And we've done our best to make kids' ministry happen um, for them in the church. Um, the kids are very much missing the large space that we had at the SLC. Um, but the bonus is that kids get to worship with their parents. I love that. And all generations get to worship together. And that's a real bonus. Um, parents now are, it's more convenient for parents to pick, pick up their kids and drop them off. They're all in one bi building. And it's definitely more welcoming to visitors uh, not to have to take their kids to another location. So those are all kind of pluses of being back in the church building. Um, as Pastor Bill had said, Wednesday night is like our big hurrah. Wednesday night now, being in the church sanctuary, we have all the bells and whistles that any kid's ministry could want. I personally don't know how to run them, but um, I've got Jeremy and his crew, which has been awesome, and Pastor Dave and his worship team. So we have a great kid's ministry, and we have loads of room 
for growth. We used to have to take turns. The kids' parents don't know this name, but the kids love playing poop deck. I know that sounds like a crazy name, but they know what I'm talking about. And a whole generation knows what I'm talking about. And the SLC, we were literally, it was too small of a space. We couldn't even let the kids all play it at one time. So now in, with new flat floors, which I am so excited about, and chairs that we can move, we are going to have some awesome poop deck. <laughs> and that's going to happen on Wednesday night. So that's going to be the big kids ministry. And that's also where we get the most neighborhood kids coming and dropping off. That's our biggest outreach. So that's going to be awesome. And Sunday mornings, because the classrooms don't have all the technology and they're smaller, we're going to move instead of Sunday school to doing small groups on Sunday morning. So as soon as we get things moved around and there's more space, the kids will be in classrooms that are age appropriate and we'll be doing small groups on Sunday morning, large group on Wednesday night. Thank you, Denise. And thank you and your team for the awesome job that they do. Absolutely incredible. 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 So how are we going to do this? That's the big question. Well, first of all, it's going to take a lot of prayer. And this is what this prayer magnet is about. In your, in your handout, you'll see that this little floppy, little heavier piece of equipment, it's a magnet. What I want you to do is stick this somewhere where you can see it. On your refrigerator, wherever you can, stick this magnet on something. And remember, please, to pray that children are going to gain a strong foundation of faith in Jesus through these sacred spaces. Pray that students are going to discover their true value from God in these sacred spaces. Pray that adults are going to be empowered to carry God's peace to the world in these sacred spaces. Pray that people of all ages will be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit in these spaces. This is what it's all about, and we need to begin by praying that God can use this to continue to advance the mission of God for Riverside Community Church. So please do that. Another little um, freebie that you have there is these little window clings. Did you, get, did you get a window cling? You know what I'd like you to do? I'd like you to put this on your car. Now, if you are a terrible driver, I respectfully ask you not to put it on your car. But if you are polite, if you will let people make the Pittsburgh left, if you will stop for letting them come into a road of traffic, then put this on your car and all it is is a logo that over time I want our community to recognize as Riverside Community Church. Help people know. And they say, what does that mean? This is my church. This is where we, we go to church and tell them about this. So put this somewhere where people are going to see it and let that just be a little way for you to help tell the story about Riverside so that people can find Jesus. Then what we're wanting to do here, here's the goal in this whole thing is we need to raise one and a half million dollars to be able to get these projects underway, not underway, but to get these projects done. Now, um, I want you to know part of the goal here too is to increase our video from standard def to high def, which will make Sunday morning connection at the mill far better, mills far better. It will set us up to be able to put our videos, our sermon podcast online 
so that it's a high quality video that people that don't come to our church can see what we're doing. We want to upgrade all of that uh, in the Oakmont site and also to be able to have a great place. So in the future, when we start new venues, it's going to be already in place to do it right and to do it well. So it is a significant investment, but I want you to know it is a worthy investment. It is a worthy investment. We will only do this as the funds are available. We borrowed money. Thank God we have a $400,000 no interest loan to be able to get started on this. And we borrowed, we borrowed to be able to get this project up and running on the current building to the max that we're able to do that. Because with the money that we won't be paying in leases, that money alone will be able to cover the mortgages that we will pay, and they will eventually be paid off. Hallelujah. It'll be our property. No more leases. No more worries. So that, those two issues is a wash, but we need to build out. This is a truck garage. It needs significant work inside and out. It's going to take a huge investment. And so we need people to step up and say, I'm going to do more than what I've been doing at Riverside to help us accomplish this mission. We will be holding off on un any unnecessary. We don't do unnecessary purchases, but, but we will be holding off on other things. We're not doing any mission trips this summer outside the United States. I mean, people might do them on their own, but we're not going to be doing that because we want to put, put our efforts on this mission that's right in front of us. So one and a half million dollars is what we're seeing if we can raise over a three-year period. Our annual budget is one and a half million dollars. This is something that we can do. So what we're asking is, can I give a third more than what I'm already giving? Some of you are saying, man, I'm already giving a lot. Some of you are saying, man, I'm hardly giving anything. You know, I can give uh, six more dollars on the $20 that I give every week. You know, I can, I can increase that by a third. Hopefully you could do far better than that. If you're not tithing, I want to challenge people. Now's the time to say, I'm going to begin tithing, giving a tenth to the church. It's a big step of faith, but God will honor that. I guarantee you. If everyone, I'm not asking everybody to give the same amount. I'm asking everybody to make the same sacrifice. And I am going to be sacrificing. Teresa and I are going to be sacrificing. We sacrificed greatly 25 years ago to come here and start this place. And I am willing to make a similar sacrifice today. Teresa and I have committed to giving $15,000 toward this project out of our own money. And today I'm going to write a check for $10,000 as the initial investment in this. Now, I don't want that. No, no, that's not why I tell you that. I'm just saying that I'm not going to ask you to do anything that I'm not also willing to do. And some of you are saying, there's no way I can do that. And some of you are saying, well, if they can do it, we can do it. Or maybe some of you are saying, well, we can do even better because God has blessed us. And maybe we can do something very significant for this. But we averaged it out and we divided the number of regular tenders by the 1.5 million goal. And if everybody were able to increase their giving by $35 a week, we would be able to reach that goal. If everybody were be able to increase their giving by $35 a week. Now, some of you, you, you can start giving. You've not been doing anything. And maybe now's the time for you to start tithing and invest more, as I've said. And some of you can do far better than 
that as Teresa and I are doing, and some of you are saying, I can't do that. That's okay too, because we can find other ways and you can help volunteer when we, when we are gonna be building out those offices. Lord willing, we're gonna to try to do that with all volunteer labor. We're gonna to try to use volunteer labor uh, very strategically. We wanna do this right, we wanna do it well, but we will try to help people cut the cost by volunteering their labor, volunteering their time, volunteering their talent, if you can help us do that. And there'll be a million ways for us to think of, how can I, Get rid of some of my wasteful spending and invest it in the kingdom of God. And that's for you and your family to decide. Maybe I don't have to go out and buy the new car. Maybe I can put that off and my car's paid off and I can take what I've been paying in a car payment and I can put it in to the ministry of God because my car works very fine even though it's a few years older. Can we figure out ways that all of us... Can we figure out ways that all of us can sacrifice to be able to get this done? I, I, I also wanna just report to you that the staff and the board combined, the pastoral staff and the board combined have already committed 8% of this goal already has been committed by the board. $115,000 has already been committed by the board and the pastoral staff. So we're already 8% there from their commitments to this project. Thank God for their willingness to commit to. Amen. You know, back when I was 31 years old and I came here and I looked around and I didn't see very many results. We made a huge step of faith and we sacrificed a lot to do that. And I'm not saying that to toot my own horn. What I'm saying is back then when I looked around and I saw what was not happening, I thought I made a huge mistake. Today, as I stand before you and I make this sacrificial gift on top of my regular tithes to Riverside, I am more confident than ever before that this is a God thing. I am more confident than ever before that God can use us. I'm not doubting any longer that God doesn't have his hand upon Riverside Community Church. I believe that we are placed in our community for such a time as this, and we are going to do everything we can to face the Goliath that is the culture around us that needs to find and follow Jesus. Folks, are you willing to do this with me? Can you see how you can do something to help us to do something significant to advance in that? Over the next couple of weeks, I'm gonna ask you to pray. And I want you to seriously hear from God. What is God saying to you? You can do this, because God can use you. And then in two weeks, just two Sundays from now, we'll ask you to say, to make a pledge, a three-year pledge. And we're gonna ask you if you have the ability, if you have money sitting in a savings account, I guarantee you it's not getting a whole lot of interest right now. You might as well give it up front. So what we did. We dipped into our savings to be able to do this because it wasn't making anything anyhow. So we did it, a lot of it up front. If you can do that, then we can get this baby done and we can continue to move forward as a church. Will you do that? Will you do that? Do you believe in the mission of Riverside Community Church? Do you believe that God has us here for such a time as this?
I, I want to just close in prayer and uh, let you know, by the way, that if you want to see the space that we bought, uh, the building that we bought, we are giving an open house tour this Tuesday evening, 7 o'clock. It's located in Oakmont, like I said, right at the corner of Archie and 3rd Street, right across the alley from the stadium seating there. Come this Tuesday evening. We'll give you a walkthrough. We'll answer any questions. If you want to talk to me about this, please send me an email. I will reply to anybody's email about this and give you the best of my knowledge, knowledgeable ability as to the details of this project. But it is a, it is a project that is going to be ongoing over the next couple years. We will do this in phases. There's no way we can do it all at once. We will start with the Archie Street, the Third Street property, and then we will do some things in Oakmont. And as funds are available, we cannot spend money that we do not have, but as the funds are available, we will move forward in this. Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.